Welcome to our webinar program for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and I'm excited to bring you the next in a series of special episodes that focus on how advisors can take control of their practice, work more closely with the right clients, give them better information, and drive their practice towards higher profitability and greater success. This segment is geared towards those advisors who have a more complex investment-focused practice and give them some insight as to what markets are doing now in the wake of the downturn, what conditions may have led to those circumstances, and how to speak with clients about their investments, both now and in the future. If that's you, this episode will be of particular interest as Ken Solo, CIO and co-founder of Pinnacle Advisory Group, works us through all the various market sectors and scenarios that affect your clients' long-term financial futures. Ken, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Dave. For the sake of our listeners who need to explain things every day to clients in a very straightforward fashion, in your opinion, where is this market going? What are we looking at here? Is it going to bounce back quickly or are we going to sort of fumble around, do you think? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I know that's not the answer you were looking for, Dave. Clearly, uh, what we've seen in the market here is uh, really uh, a shocking decline in prices and a I think equally shocking rally in prices off the bottom. Uh, and so investors are trying to figure out at this point uh, really whether or not this extreme, amazing deflationary impulse we've had from basically turning off the global economy, uh, whether or not that'll be offset by an equally amazing reflationary impulse from. Uh, policy response, both fiscal and uh, monetary. So how that plays out is the question before the board here at Pinnacle. As you know, we are tilted still bearishly as we are skeptical. I think maybe uh, investors have gotten a little ahead of themselves. But over the long haul, I think the real issue here is uh, there seems to be a lot of agreement over uh, the long haul, two, three, four years out, will the economy recover? Yes, it's such a unique circumstance because we're dealing with a virus that uh, there seems to be uh, some amount of agreement that we'll get at some point here, not only a treatment, but a vaccine, things will recover. It's here as we grope around for the bottom that's where I think the disagreement's being played out. Um, we got a 34% decline from the top. Whether that is enough relative to the total economic catastrophe and carnage just ahead here, that I think that's the uh, debate for markets. So really, if, if we were to maybe flip a switch and say, okay, the virus is gone, we're starting to build back what we what we think we want and what we had and what the new normal is. Are there industries that are going to bounce back quicker or more effectively than others? I mean, Pinnacle tends to look at markets and, and holdings in terms of sectors. Are there sectors of the economy that are going to do better or worse after the recovery starts? Yeah, another good question. Uh, you know, the, typically coming out of recessions, you tend to see small caps and mid caps and value stocks leading those value, using that terminology value, if you translate it into sectors, 
they usually get you to cyclical type holdings that tend to lead the way uh, in those environments. What's unique here is that large cap growth has been a leader uh, for a decade now. The market has narrowed down to these top 20 holdings uh, that are mostly in that large cap growth category, whether it's tech, consumer discretionary, those types of names, communications. So uh, our thinking is those are more likely to lead us heading out of this event, just like they led coming into the event. But we have our eye on this very closely. And if we see that terminology, the breadth of the market, can the small caps and mid caps participate and actually lead until they do, a lot of analysts will be skeptical of this rally. For us, we're not so sure that that's the case. And it may just be we go back to the large caps leading and that's the way it will be. Now, Ken, you've been in this business a long time. You've seen ups and downs over, over a couple of decades at least. Uh, is this market behaving as you would expect it to after a large drop like that? Or is this all the word I hate to use is unprecedented. Is this all brand new and we really don't have any, any keys to guiding our behavior going forward? Yeah, well, I'm afraid it is. Uh, the, the issue here is that, and you hear this alphabet soup all the time, Dave, you know, are we gonna have a V bottom, a W bottom, an L bottom, a U bottom, pick your alphabet letter. Uh, but unfortunately, history doesn't give us any examples of a uh, stimulus package worth 35% of GDP. And whether you're talking about the federal deficit, whether you're talking about the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, you're talking about trillion dollar program after a trillion dollar program, we're looking at potentially $9 trillion on the Fed's balance sheet. I mean, all this is unprecedented. So when we talk about the behavior of stocks, we talk about the valuations of the market, which we'll be happy to talk about. I mean, we're trading to uh, PE right now on forward earnings of 22. And um, there's a lot of talk that we could trade even higher. Um, uh, the question before the board is, is the market, and it's not unusual coming out of a recession for PE, especially forward PE multiples to pop like this as prices anticipate a rise in earnings. Um, but it, <clears throat> at some point, you got to take a look at these multiples. We were trading to 19 times before we had this episode. We're at 22, if we head much higher, we're gonna be questioning as well, uh, other informed investors. We're just gonna be questioning, is the market ahead of itself? Do prices that need to come back down to earnings in order to put this multiple in a better place to advance from here? Or will earnings surprise to the upside, making the multiple a little bit more reasonable? Uh, I can tell you, we would be more comfortable 
for the longer haul, just the longer term health of the market, if we come back down and retest and form a little bit better base for the market to uh, continue on its next bull market run. Now, we talked earlier about um, federal stimulus. Now, that's, that's actually a two or three pronged approach that they're using. Tell me a little bit more about what the effects might be of that stimulus long term, because it, I mean, are the underlying stocks still good? It's just this is propping up the consumer sector or how is this designed to work? <laughs> well, this stimulus is designed to prop up every sector, whether it is, uh, uh, and it depends on which stimulus we're talking about. And actually, because the uh, treasury isn't allowed to lend directly to uh, consumers that are lending facilities at the Fed, which actually leverage up treasury programs. So what's happening here is you have programs to help Main Street, which has to do with uh, uh, supporting people's unemployment benefits. You have programs to support virtually every part of the bond market and Generally speaking, corporate finance in America, there's subsidies for small businesses, uh, lending facilities for small businesses. So really, it's the most comprehensive set of stimulus you've ever seen. The government is in a big way taking over business in the United States. There are some commentators, even though there's a consensus of approval that without these measures, we would be heading into a Great Depression type of economic data. And so there is approval that this is when government should step in. Over the longer haul, there are questions beginning to be raised about what does this mean for uh, moral hazard? What does this mean for businesses going forward, should they expect government bailouts? Um, how do we unwind this debt? Uh, and what are the longer term implications? Yeah, eyebrows are beginning to be raised. I would say, generally speaking, our feeling is it has to be looked at very bullishly from the standpoint of equity investors. I mean, in the past, uh, you know, this money has found its way into the stock market. And, um, you know, with this many trillions sloshing around, uh, uh, you have to believe it'll be supportive of equity prices uh, going forward. Uh, you know, that being said, I, as I just mentioned, there are those who say that this kind of financial repression keeping interest rates this low ultimately uh, will slow the economy as opposed to stimulate the economy. This is the debate. That being the case, then maybe not so good for stocks. For right now, uh, I think if you're overly bearish, you know, the old saying is don't fight the Fed. And it's very difficult to be overly bearish uh, in this particular environment. And so we're not. Uh, as you know, uh, we tend to view portfolio positioning relative to our benchmarks. Uh, we're allowed to take our portfolio volatility above or below uh, client benchmarks for risk. And uh, currently, we're positioned right around 
80 to 85% of benchmark volatility, which for us, like I say, it's definitely a bearish tilt. But if you would have said to me before this happened, Ken, they're going to shut off the global economy and we are going to have 15 to 20% unemployment in the United States, what do you think your positioning would be in the portfolio? I wouldn't have told you 80% of risk. I'm, I'm sure we would have been talking about numbers much lower, uh, which by the way, we saw the great financial crisis. Uh, pinnacle portfolios were positioned as low as 50% of uh, benchmark volatility. So yeah, we're tilted bearish, but not as much as we would be if we didn't see the kind of stimulus we're talking about. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need with a range of outsourced options and top-rated professional investment management and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. Two more pieces on, on the Fed while we're about it. You mentioned interest rates, uh, low interest rates being potentially dangerous in the future. Do you ever see interest rates going below zero in the U.S. as they have in other places? Yeah, I, I think the Fed has made it clear that they will do whatever it takes to uh, stimulate the economy and do what they need to do to succeed at their mandate, which is, of course, managing inflation and at the same time managing employment in the United States. Uh, they made it clear that they will do everything in their everything in their power not to go to negative interest rates. No one expects them to go to negative interest rates. But would I be shocked if we saw negative interest rates uh, with the type of deflationary forces out there at this time? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked by anything I see out of policymakers. I think that's one of the lessons we've kind of, it's hard to describe this, but we've broken through to a new place. It is unthinkable what is happening, both in terms of what's going on at the Fed and uh, what's going on in terms of Congress. I mean, they're snapping off half a trillion dollar programs like popcorn um, and they need to do it uh, like i say when you've literally turned off the economy if they don't do these things uh the economic I don't know, catastrophe ahead of us would, would be amazing if you're bearish you're saying you're going to get it anyway okay but um uh, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but. No, that, that tells me and the audience what we needed to know. One final bit on, on the Fed. They're essentially printing money, increasing the supply to do all this stimulus. Isn't that going to trigger massive amounts of inflation and start plunging us even deeper into a hole? 
You know, we do hear that. And uh, that question is one of the most uh, asked questions we're getting from advisors. Um, and the answer is no, we don't think so. I, I think all that's happening right now is they're trying to fill the gap here, plug the hole, if you will. And as like we have so much deflationary pressures now that no, I really don't think when you look at commodity prices, you look at interest rates, you look at the complete lack of demand globally and worldwide. Uh, no, I don't see this being inflationary. What happens as we go three, four, five, six years out, how they unwind some of these programs? Maybe then it's a different story, but uh, we're not seeing uh, any of the analysts we follow uh, in our internal view is now. I just think we're going to see very low inflation and low interest rates for quite a while going forward. And by the way, the, the flip side of that is it makes equity valuations look much more attractive. Uh, and so it's a very bullish statement in the near term. What becomes problematic is if you're going to get very, very slow growth for years to come. If demand does not pick up for years to come, then of course, that's a much more bearish statement about what type of returns you could expect from equities going forward. In terms of portfolio construction, it may be that uh, you get lower than average returns from equities, but those returns are still higher than fixed income returns. Um, and for us, I, I think that balanced portfolios are going to be uh, treasured. It, it, just like coming into this uh, particular sell-off, balanced portfolios serve clients very well. I think they may serve clients well going forward. Let's, uh, let's broaden our scope just a little bit here and, and talk in a more global nature. Um, is China going to have to contribute to a lot of this as one of the biggest buyers of treasury debt? We owe them a considerable amount of money. Are we going to try and hold them responsible for some of this COVID damage? And is there, that going to affect sort of the buy American sentiment and bring that back up to the surface and, and drive further growth in the economy? Um, China's role is going to be interesting going forward. First of all, uh, Japan, I think, is the biggest buyer of our treasury debt. Um, a lot of discussions about here in the U.S., um, it's been uh, hedge funds and other non-banks who have been the biggest buyers of treasury debt. Um, but lately, going forward, it seems the biggest buyers of treasury debt may very well end up being the Federal Reserve, and that that is the definition of modern monetary theory, where we're literally monetizing our own debt, they're creating the money, and the buyer is the Fed. Um, uh, what China's role will be in this global economy uh, we're not sure. The obvious things we're seeing, and and uh, uh, to me, that 
one of the things is that it may be that this whole episode, starting with the tariffs last year and the trade war, but now even more so with the COVID situation, is we may, may begin to unravel the globalization trend that's been going on for quite a while. And you're going to see that, I think, in supply chains, um, how uh, countries are looking at this, how companies are looking at this. Uh, protecting supply chains, I think, is going to become uh, viewed a lot differently. I think uh, those supply chains will be fleeing China. I think there'll be a lot more regionalism in terms of uh, Asian corporations sourcing business in Asia, whereas Western corporations do it here in the West. None of which I think is great for profit margins or profits, but I do think that's uh, in an, almost an inevitable outcome of what's going on here with COVID. Um, I just saw this morning, it seems as though uh, our current administration is declaring another war on China now. We're very unhappy with how uh, the information about COVID was disclosed and so forth. So here we are going from 2019, where we spent an enormous amount of time beginning in the summer trying to unravel the impact of tariffs and trade wars with China um, and, and potentially Europe. Uh, and now we're moving on to this. So I think a little bit of a one-two punch in terms of who's financing what and uh, how the global economy is going to work going forward. Could that retreat from globalization actually be good for building strength in U.S. equities at this point? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Right now, 50% of the earnings of the S&P 500 comes from overseas. Okay, the notion that these huge, when we talk about the market and we're talking about the S&P 500, you're talking about gigantic, globally integrated corporations where the demand for their products overseas is a huge part of their earnings. It's a huge part of their story. Um, I don't see how unraveling that is going to be good longer term for business uh, anywhere in the world, frankly. Um, but I think that's coming for the reasons that we've talked about. And um, as investors, we're going to have to keep a half an eye on this. You know, our benchmarks include uh, international stocks. Having globally diversified portfolios is something we've always had since we started Pinnacle back in uh, 1993. So. Um, what the relative weighting should be, what the correlations will be between U.S. and international stocks going forward, uh, and currencies, what goes on with the U.S. dollar relative to these other currencies, all of that will, uh, as it does now, have an impact on uh, whether or not we're going to pick up global exposure from just owning U.S. companies. Right now, we pick up global exposure by owning U.S. and international companies. And that's just a trend we're going to be keeping a close eye out on. Let's bring this a little closer to our audience. 
is this correction and all this volatility we've been talking about, is that going to drive people back to realize that maybe their money is better off in the hands of professionals? Are advisors going to be able to use this as an opportunity to grow their practices because people are, are in need of help? Well, look, I, I'm thinking back starting 2000, 2001, uh, that bear market, the great financial crisis, um, really every time we've experienced a bear market, uh, I've personally seen a reset investor attitudes. You know, the name of my book is Buy and Hold is Still Dead Again. Uh, buying and holding, do-it-yourselfing, indexing, all those things always make sense to consumers in bull markets. Uh, risk is not at the top of people's mindset in bull markets. You know, greed and fear are kind of universal. You get an extended period of volatility uh, like uh, we've seen, but we haven't really seen it extended. We've seen a B bottom with, you know, 30 some trading days down and 30 some trading days straight up. But if you see an extended period, uh, we go back and retest. Uh, whenever consumers connect with the fear side, they begin to ask, what is the value proposition of them spending time trying to figure this out? Once uh, earning positive returns is no longer easy, if you will, um, then yes, they've always looked to professional management and begun this different calculation of, well, especially for firms that are using asset under management model. Okay, what is the, what is the calculation here of value between what I'm going to pay and what I'm doing? on my own, whether they're indexing or using mutual funds, that kind of thing. And then more specifically for this audience, to the extent that advisors have done the buy-hold rebalance model, and uh, that has been their success story, to the extent that consumers begin to ask for something else, does it make sense for them to consider outsourcing to a more active style of management that may be uh, more appropriate and be more in line of what consumers or perhaps some of their clients are looking for. So do I expect all that to happen? Absolutely, of course. It sounds like there's a silver lining waiting out there for our advisor audience. Ken, those are some terrific insights. I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. Thanks so much for being on the program. You're more than welcome, Dave. Thank you. We've been speaking with Ken Solo, CIO and co-founder of Pinnacle Advisory Group, about how to share market insights and add value with clients in times of financial turbulence. If you have questions about how to handle such client interactions, drop us a line at fouradvisors at pinnacleadvisory.com or make an appointment to speak with a representative at Pinnacle Advisor Solutions about how they can help you scale and grow. Call 201-919-4838. Be sure to visit Pinnacle Advisor Solutions website at www.pinnacleadvisorsolutions.com and be sure to review earlier episodes if you missed them. Until next time, thanks for listening.
You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. 